Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. It is a busy week for the world of agriculture. We have seen the markets waiting for that Federal Reserve action yesterday. We got it. Fed hiked interest rates 25 basis points, a quarter of a percentage point. We're going to talk in segment two with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics about how the trade is interpreting that bump in the Fed funds rate. Before segment three, we're going to talk with Alan Schaefer. He's head of the Diesel Technology Forum. And we're going to talk about the way California is cracking down on diesel heavy-duty semis delivery vehicles, the things we use around the farm and what that could mean for the industry long-term. Before we get into all of that, however, we have continued to see ag make a splash across the state of South Dakota. South Dakota Farm Bureau, certainly a big part of that. And joining us now is Scott Vanderwall. He serves as president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. And Scott, it's Ag Week. Farm Bureau been out there talking to folks across the great state of South Dakota? Well, good morning, Mike. Uh, good to be back with you. Yeah, we've uh, taken advantage of the spotlight that's on agriculture here in the state. Uh, most notably, probably would be our new committee that we formed in South Dakota Farm Bureau called the Promotion and Education Committee. And we've got some new people on there, and they've been doing interviews and talking about the, the good things that agriculture does for our state and our country, including uh, raising our farm uh, food and fuel and uh, making sure we take care of the environment and the livestock and everything all at the same time. Absolutely. And Scott, when we think about South Dakota here over the past 10 years, it is a state that has really rolled out the red carpet to livestock producers. You've certainly seen a growth in that industry there across the state, haven't you? We really have. Uh, we, we've had some past administrations, including the present one with, with Governor Noman Place, that have realized that we hadn't been in a, very innovative in our state uh, over the years, and we needed to expand our value-added uh, capability as far as uh, adding value to our products. Uh, otherwise, our feeder cattle were going out of state to out of state feedlots. We were shipping the corn and soybeans out of state. And we've uh, really worked on processing those. And we've got a, a packing plant up in Aberdeen, South Dakota now. Uh, there's a couple other things in the works. And we've worked really hard on uh, uh, small locker plants, which doesn't really affect the overall picture nationwide, but it sure helps the people that are close by. Absolutely. And any hands putting up or anytime you're getting some cattle off the market, off the rail and into people's uh, you know mouths, that is a win. And but of course, President Vanderwall, when we're thinking about livestock production in particular, there are smells, there are noises, there are things that folks who aren't familiar with livestock farming might take exemption with. And South Dakota, as of this last week, has some new protections for farmers in the livestock industry, don't you? That's right. We worked very closely with Governor Ome on that. And uh, it's called agriculture nuisance laws and, and preventing uh, frivolous lawsuits. And what it does is require that a potential plaintiff uh, would have to be a tenant uh, renting some land or actually own land within a mile of the uh, operation in question. So somebody that's 30 miles away looking to start trouble is not going to have standing in a lawsuit like that. And so that's a good thing. And the other th uh, thing is that uh, 
they put some caps on awards uh, as far as what juries could award for damages. And it's all in, in the uh, effort to uh, prevent lawsuits that just cause uh, delays and cost a lot of time for people and, and money uh, for people that have to defend themselves. And it, it's a it's a good thing because uh, uh, anybody that's following the local, state, and, and federal laws um, shouldn't have to be worried about uh, lawsuits. And, and it specifically says that we still have to follow those uh, local, state, and national laws. Uh, it's it's we had actually had one uh, media outlet say that it, it's giving us a license to pollute or protection for pollution, and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we still have to follow all those regulations, and, and it just protects us from those uh, those frivolous lawsuits. Yeah, so my understanding, President Vanderwall, is that if you're a farmer following all of the relevant state, local, and national guidelines, and somebody within a mile brings a suit, it's still going to be examined. You'll still examine the nuisance aspect, but it, it should be a little quicker dispensation. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's right. If it is a, if somebody that's a mile away, they would still have the, the right and ability to do that. And then it's uh, going to be up to the, the defendant to, to uh, defend themselves and make sure that they're doing everything that they should be doing. And Scott, is this is South Dakota the first state with a law like this on the books with these sort of protections? Do you know? You know, I can't tell you that. Uh, I'm not sure if other states have done that or not. Well, it will be interesting to see how it plays out, but this is now the law in South Dakota. Is that correct? Governor Noem has signed it into uh, into law? Yeah, we were honored to be able to attend that signing uh, last week. It was uh, down at one of the John Deere dealers in Mitchell, South Dakota, and uh, I, I and one other uh, person that has actually been sued by the Sierra Club were able to speak in front of the uh, media and uh, uh, thank the governor for taking leadership in this, and, and it was a nice event where she signed the bill, and it'll take effect at the normal time uh, on the 1st of July. All right, we'll see that piece of legislation coming into effect, folks. If you're in South Dakota, love to keep up with you on this issue and see how as it plays out. Scott, while we've got you on the line, and of course, this is a very busy year for agriculture with the Farm Bill rewrite in process with the WOTUS cases pending. From South Dakota's Farm Bureau's perspective, what are you pushing hardest for this year? What are you hearing from members? Well, the biggest thing is to make sure we get the Farm Bill done this year. The, the current one expires in September. And really, Congress has three options. They can kick the can down the road and extend it, which nobody really wants to do. Uh, they could let it expire, and in that case, the 49 Farm Bill takes over, which would be an absolute disaster because that was not uh, designed for modern agriculture and the way things work now. Or they could just get it done and, and get it signed into law by the time the current one expires. And I know uh, that the, the principals in the process uh, very much want to get it done. We had a uh, call a week ago with uh, um, uh, Speaker McCarthy and also Representative G.T. Thompson, who is the House Ag Committee Chairman, and they are both committed to that. Uh, that was a call with all the state presidents of Farm Bureau, and we talked about a lot of policy issues, and, and they reemphasized that uh, we just need to get this done. Uh, important for the health of uh, American agriculture, and that goes back to national security, as long as we keep our our production system, uh, food production and energy production uh, healthy, then we can take care of ourselves no matter what happens around the world.
A nation that can't feed itself, can't defend itself. We're talking with Scott Vanderwall, president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. And Scott, before we let you go, are you planning any trips to D.C. to advocate for uh, for agriculture? Uh, not this week, but we'll be going back in uh, July, certainly, for our uh, board meetings. And uh, we do have a fly-in schedule for June where we'll have members from all over the country coming in and uh, making the point to go up to Capitol Hill and visit with their policymakers and uh, make sure that they understand Farm Bureau policy. So that's a great opportunity for members to come in and do that. It certainly is, folks. Get that on your calendar. Get out there. Talk to those legislators. Talk to those regulators. Explain what's happening on the ground. We've been talking this morning with Scott Vanderwall, president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. Scott, always a pleasure. And folks, stay with us. Mike Duzalo of Global Commodity Analytics and Research will join us here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. We're here with Tom Fry, the Director of Performance Products at the Mosaic Company, and Tom, farmers are gearing up for spring planting. What should they have in their mind when it comes to fertility? We're having some fun here at Commodity Classic talking about the corn sprints. Oh! And it's this concept of how do we make sure we're ready for what is a fast-paced growing season every year, and thinking about what they can do to make sure they've got the optimum balance of nutrition, and how can they make their soils do more. So you mentioned the corn sprint. When is that crucial time for growing? You know, in some ways, when we look back on a season, it feels like it's from planting to harvest. But there's key periods in which crop nutrition is absolutely vital to make sure that we get the most out of our fields. Starting from about V4 all the way well into grain fill is that period where we see the maximum uptake of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, zinc, most of our critical nutrients that are going to make us have a profitable year. So how are we as an industry getting better at accessing those nutrients in the soil during that crucial time? It's been a period of evolution for a long time. Uh, when I joined the Mosaic Company, one of the things that we were doing is really expanding our line of performance products with Microessentials and Aspire. And those are ways that we can do more with phosphate and potassium nutrition. We're taking it to the next level right now with advanced crop nutrition with Mosaic Biosciences and products like PowerCoat and Biopath, which are plant growth promoting rhizobacteria that make the root systems bigger and work in the microbiome to ensure that the right mix of uh, microbes are there, process nutrients, stimulate the, the growth, and get more out of that fertilizer investment. Tom, corn sprint. You mentioned that was a focus here while you're at Commodity Classic. Where can growers go to learn more about the corn sprint and what they need to have in mind? They can check out um, cropnutrition.com and it will lead them to a place where they can request additional information. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. 
We win. We 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 are the foundation fighting blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. For the past two weeks in the broad market, the focus has been on weakness in the banking sector and whether or not climbing interest rates from the Federal Reserve might be the cause. And there was some concern that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, well, the market didn't know what he was going to do yesterday when the Fed announced their next, their March Fed funds rate move. Well, they did announce a move. Joining us for an update on what the Fed announced and how the market is interpreting this information is Mike Zuzalo. He's the founder of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. Joins us today. Mike, thanks for making the time to talk with us. Great to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. So let's set it up with yesterday's action from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. We raised interest rates 25 basis points, Mike. That's a quarter of a percentage point. What was the trade? Was the trade anticipating that move heading into this meeting? Yeah, they really were. The CME bond futures market had about an 80% likelihood of a quarter point rate hike, Mike. And I think it was really important because the, the biggest thing to talk about from my standpoint with the commodity markets is banks borrowed a record amount from the Fed's discount or lending window last week because of the banking issues that have developed on, on both sides of the Atlantic. And that was even more than what they did during the financial crisis. So it was very important for the Fed to follow through and, and have confidence. And that's why they had a unanimous vote, I think, on a quarter point hike. But they also, I think, wanted to make sure they knew that it was important to not to try to take what happened last week too lightly uh, in the seriousness of it on the financial markets. And what I mean by that is um, we want to rebuild the commodity investment confidence, and that's usually done with a strong desire to buy into the emerging markets, kind of like what we saw after China replaced its zero COVID strategy. We've given almost all that away, though, in part because of what the Fed's been doing. And now, along with that, the sharp rate hike, uh, rate hike of what I think nine times now at this point after yesterday um, really took some of the bank's balance sheets down hard. And so it, it's kind of like a, a policy. I kind of likened it to um, trying to take a splinter from your finger with a meat cleaver. I mean, you, you, that's kind of what their policy had been up until the banking uh, fluctuations. And I won't call it a crisis yet, but I think that's really the heart and soul of commodity investors coming back in because they see emerging markets and emerging market currencies like the Brazilian, the Chinese, even the Russian ruble all appreciate, all strengthen. That gives more confidence to coming back into the commodities. And simply put, we're in this situation since 2022 where agriculture commodities can either be traded as an asset or as a commodity with supply demand fundamentals. And the asset side has been winning, winning, winning. And after this move, 25% basis hike, trade was anticipating it. Mike, does this put the interest rate issues into the rearview mirror, at least for the foreseeable future? Will the commodity trade go back to fundamentals here in the short term? 
I think they will. I think the, the, the terminology of the Federal Reserve was very crucial here, in my opinion. And, and they went and they took out the, the comment of, quote, ongoing increases, and they replaced that with the, quote, some additional policy firming may be appropriate. Those two, I think, distinctions are very serious in terms of they get it. They realize that inflation is not the only factor in their fight. I mean, after all, they have this dual mandate, Mike, but they also, at the end of the day, the dual mandate is to smooth out the business cycle from the peaks and the valleys. And I think they got back to basics on that. All right, Mike. So if that is the case, we're going to be bringing the focus here maybe back to fundamentals a little bit. Let's talk about what's developing here in the grains off the bat. We've got some relative strength in the corn market today. Did, have we seen some additional exports there? Does it look like these these bushels of corn are actually going to leave our shores? Yeah, it does. We did over 3 million metric tons on a weekly export sales basis. We did another 123,000 metric tons to China on a separate uh, 8 o'clock update by USDA. It's essentially a situation, Mike, where the Chinese are finding bargain basement prices for our corn. And that comes at the exact same time when Brazil is shifting from corn exports to soybean exports because they don't have room for the soybean side. And I think it's really important that the listener understands that Brazil's soybean prices at the Port of Paranagua have been cratering at this point. There's almost $60 per ton less than the U.S., whether you're talking about at the Gulf or at the Pacific Northwest. So this bigger Brazilian bean crop is really starting to show in the soy prices at the Port of Paranagua. And that's why the market has chosen going into the acreage and stocks report to really unwind that long bean short corn mindset that they've had for many, many months. How much more can they unwind that position, Mike? Because I'm watching the soybean market today. We've crop, got old crop down uh, 11 to 13 cents, new crops off four to five. Uh, can we see continued additional selling by that non-commercial money? Yeah, I mean, my undervalue ultimately on November beans is around 1145. I don't think we go in a straight line to that level, but I think we also have to worry about the spread giving up. We've had a July Nov bean spread that's been trading at around $1.50 over the July, a, a terrific premium in the old crop. I'm nervous that's going to start going away. And I think that's where the acreage and the stocks numbers come in. And your earlier question about do we start trading supply demand again? That's, I think, going to be our first test of whether we do or not. But before we get there, I I think we, we've got to realize the leaders to the downside were the crude oil, the bonds, and the wheat. So they should make their market lows first. And that's kind of what I'm looking for, Mike. On that on that soybean side, you mentioned the, the cratering of prices down there in Brazil. When are we going, or I guess, how much more downside would that $60 a ton in Brazil mean to domestic markets? Are we going to see that price continue to drop lower? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You're talking about, you know, roughly 70 cents or 80 cents a bushel as far as the front end bean contract goes if the Brazilian crop is bigger. And I think that's where AgroConsult came out with that big curveball for the market earlier this week and said it's not 153 million metric tons that Brazil is going to produce in soybeans. It's 155. And they went a completely different direction than the rest of the market. And I think we're going to have to figure that out real soon because I think we're around 60% harvested at this point. So hard numbers should be coming in right away at this point. Mike, let's turn our focus over to the protein sector. On the livestock side, we had that very tight cattle on feed report come out this last Friday. Now with maybe inflation scares in the background, can we see the cattle market pick back up its rally? 
I think certainly the futures market has priced in a discount because we're trading at about a 163, 164 cash market. April futures below that by a couple dollars. And but look at the June and the August. They're well below that level. So I think the funds have done their job of, of liquidate liquidating adequately in the futures market. Now we just need to wait for the cash market to bottom, both cash cattle and cash hogs, in, in my opinion. Well, let's talk about cash hogs because, well, and hog futures as well, Mike, because that market has been volatile here to say the least over the past two or three months. Uh, we've seen it come down well off the highs from 2022 as we prepare for summer 2023. What direction is this lean hog market going to be going in? Well, it's going to be going lower and, it, and it's very similar to the wheat market in terms of trying to make a bottom by finding demand. And I think we haven't had a bad domestic demand uh, time period. In fact, I think between the HPAI and the African swine fever um, and even PERS in the hog market uh, and hog production here domestically, our, our domestic consumption, I think, is very strong, Mike. But I think the problem is the foreign markets are what's giving up. And pork exports were up 8% today on a weekly basis versus the four-week average. But again, we saw China not take anything and we saw Mexico take almost 50%. So I think that was at the heart of this recent pullback was the Mexico, their currency, their, their trade issues with the United States, not unlike what we've been dealing with with China. Well, on the China side specifically, Mike, you, of course, are plugged into what's developing there on the ground. They've reopened their economy post-COVID. Is it going well? I haven't seen many updates from in-country. Is their economy growing in China? Not fast enough. And, and in fact, just this week, the government has announced fresh incentives to try and spur consumption in things like cars, automobiles, and also electronics. And that's kind of the heart of the Chinese economy when it comes to the domestic consumption. So kind of that barometer, Mike, by itself would suggest that they really are having a tough time bringing a consumer back to the table after that zero COVID policy. All right, Mike, before we let you go, I do have to get your thoughts here on this wheat market. We're seeing both spring and KC take off here today. Any factors driving those two specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where the bottom in the market should be in place. If the commodity wheat, which was driven down by the crude oil and by the, the sharply higher dollar and weaker bond markets, that should be the first to bottom, especially the hard red wheat, given the conditions we're facing. Here we are in mid-March, and, and we don't have much time left to grow that crop at this point, if you ask me. And the hard red side, soft red looks pretty good, it looks like, from conditions. All right. But that hard red, we're coming into emergency. It looks tough out there, doesn't it, Mike? It, it really does. It's almost as bad as last year and, and worse than last year in certain parts of the state of Kansas. Oh, boy. Continue to watch those crop condition updates as they come in. We've been speaking today with Mike Zuzalo, founder of Global Commodity Analytics and Research. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, sir. And folks, stick around. We'll talk with Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum here when we return about just what California is trying to do with diesel trucks on the road. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As a look at the market trade on Thursday, corn being propped up by yet another old crop corn sale to China on the Daily Wire. That one coming in at 4.8 million bushels. And on the week last week, USDA reported 121.9 million bushels of U.S. corn export sales, the highest weekly total for old crop corn since September of 2021. So the corn market looking relatively robust. We're seeing old crop faring a little bit better than new crop right now on the board. Soybeans under pressure, beans, meal, bean oil had fairly uh, dismal weekly export sales there, and we're seeing more continued long liquidation by fund managers, it appears here in this soybean market. We see that corn fund managers, by the way, are short the corn market for the first time in about two years. They also remain short in the wheat market. Wheat seeing some moderate strength here as we work through our trading day so far with Kansas City wheat leading the charge to the upside. Meantime, we look at livestock, relatively mixed action there, fairly quiet weekly export sales of beef and pork. Beef came in at 18,600 metric tons, up 5% from last week, but down 59% for the prior four-week average. Pork net sales, 38,000 metric tons, up 7% from last week and up 8% from the prior four-week average. So we're watching how the trade goes in commodities here today across the board with the financial sector still uh, reacting a little bit to yesterday's Federal Reserve announcement, 25 basis point rate hike. Fed Chair Jerome Powell, though, saying that more rate hikes will probably be expected in May. The Dow Jones up 224. Last check with the dollar index slightly lower, around 101.80 here this hour. Overall, fairly quiet market trade as we work through our Thursday. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. All across the country, at the national and at the state level, groups are taking a look at emissions, the core component of the climate battle and sustainability and et cetera. And they're taking aim at diesel technology, the diesel engines that power so much of our world as we know it today, and of course, so much of agriculture. One state is leading the charge on reducing the emissions from diesel engines, and that's the state of California. Last week, EPA granted them a waiver to continue their faster than the rest of the nation's pace on phasing out this crucial technology. Well, joining us for an update on these California rules and also how the diesel engine industry continues to develop is Alan Schaefer. He serves as the executive director for the Diesel Technology Forum, working with engine manufacturers across this country. And Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mike. Let's talk first about what California is looking to do. Several years ago, they announced this clean trucks plan and they're tightening down a lot of the regulatory oversight on trucking in California. Alan, fill us in. What are they looking to do specifically in that state? Well, California is uh, unique air quality needs. As, as we all know, California has the, the most significant smog in the U.S., and that's a trend that's been sustained for 20 or 30 years there. And so California, under the Clean Air Act, has been able to establish its own more stringent standards and programs to address that local uh, air quality problem. What's happened is in recent years that I think uh, states that have been uh, more interested in more progressive policies began adopting California rules under provisions of the Clean Air Act. So what happened first was passenger cars. So if you're buying a passenger car today, like in my home state of Maryland, uh, it's not a, a, a federally certified car. It's a car that's been certified to operate here by California. And that's the same uh, with about 15 other states that have that same um, approach. Uh, what now has happened, and we used to have uh, harmonized national standards in the trucking industry uh, up until this recent cycle. And California, again, decided to go out on its own and adopt more stringent standards to uh, further reduce emissions of nitrogen oxide. Um, and to do it uh, in a timetable that is um, outside the scope of what we believe is allowed in the Clean Air Act, which says that manufacturers get four years of lead time to develop and implement new emission standards. So there's a lot of issues still unsettled here, but um, California has also really introduced, of course, the whole greenhouse gas reduction as part of this. We used to be just talking about reducing smog and particulate matter, but now we're really focused on not only doing that, but also doing uh, reductions in carbon dioxide emissions. So we see a, a situation where um, California rules that have been developed uh, for California are um, now taking over some parts of the U.S. And I think uh, industries use that as a problem. Um, trucking is an interstate industry. Um, it operates every corner of the U.S. And for a trucker that might be in Maine one day and Missouri the next, having you know, different standards in different states. You know, if you buy a truck here, is it okay to operate it there? Um, it creates a real patchwork of, of problems, we think, for industry. 
Absolutely. So have we heard how the industry is going to be grappling with this set of problems? It, it does sound like we'll just manufacture everything to fit the California guidelines, Alan. Is that what the future looks like? Well, I wouldn't go that far at all. And, and I should also point out, particularly for your audience, Mike, that this rule only applies to on-highway trucks and light-duty passenger vehicles. This does not mean that any kind of effort California might take to tighten down on the agricultural sector would then be able to be adopted by other states. So we should make that clear right up front. But I don't think it makes uh, it, it, it puts California in the driver's seat. Um, the EPA just announced new, more stringent standards for heavy-duty diesel trucks in December of last year. And these standards are, are challenging for manufacturers, but they are uh, more attainable than, than the standards in California. Uh, ultimately, where this all takes us is that the cost of new trucks in California and states that choose the California um, option um, to, to enforce their rules are going to be more expensive and there are going to be fewer choices. I've, I've heard some rumblings from different manufacturers that the number of options that might be available in California in future years of diesel trucks might be cut in half or even more. So if you're used to having you know, five choices of engines now, you might only have one or two in the next three or four years because California's rules are more onerous to certify to and to provide all the different um, requirements there. So it ultimately means higher costs, less choice for consumers, and I think on the policy side, unfortunately, it sets up a situation where states really give up their own uh, autonomy in setting their own environmental rules. If you allow California to dictate your uh, truck and other emissions policies, um, that means that your state government agency that's been charged with doing that, implementing the federal standards, there's no reason to have it. So why, why do we need a, a state government to implement emissions rules when we've yielded that authority to California. I think that's a, another aspect of this that has been overlooked. Yes, I think you're certainly right about that. Alan, you mentioned trucks in California. After this rule, we're going to see fewer models. There's there's going to be fewer options. They're going to be more expensive. And if I'm reading these rules correctly, it appears as though there's a sunset in 2026 that a diesel truck would have to be retired. Am I reading that correctly? This is not, uh, this is a, this is, I think, a point of, uh, of somewhat um, uncertainty still at this time. I think there's a requirement that increasing percentages of, of uh, heavy-duty vehicles be zero-emission technology. And I think there's some, there's some points in time uh, going forward in the rule where um, the agency, California in this case, would have to assess whether or not the infrastructure, et cetera, to support those zero-emission vehicles still warrants the same level and trajectory and timing for mandating increasing numbers of sales of those vehicles. So um, I think uh, it would be um, wrong to think that uh, diesel engines are going away completely um, in California or any other state. I think we've, we've got a long way to go to understand how new technologies um, really are adopted and how they perform. And uh, also, uh, diesel has another act or two left. I think we, with the more stringent emission standards, Manufacturers are going to be producing one of the most efficient and ultra super clean diesel engines that uh, that exist. So um, I think it's our view that uh, we need all of these options to, to decarbonize the economy, to help achieve clean air standards, et cetera. But California is, is, is kind of a unique situation. i just give you one example. And in 2021, they exceeded the federal ozone standard on 150 days. 
a state like Pennsylvania that's considered adopting the California rules um, exceeded that same standard in the same year, 17 days, and at much lower levels. So you have to ask yourself the question, um, is what California needs the same thing that we need in Iowa, that we need in Pennsylvania? And I think there's 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 really a, a process here that a single national approach makes more sense for everyone. And that's ultimately where manufacturers really would like to see this go um, as they try and invest more in zero emission vehicle technology and everything that's needed to support that. They also need to keep selling these advanced internal combustion engines that are more fuel efficient because that's what's getting the job done today uh, for most for most farmers, for most truckers um, hauling product to market. Um, so diesel's not going away anytime soon. Um, despite California's uh, aggressive rulemaking strategies, there, there are many, uh, many checkpoints along the way to see whether or not that uh, that ultimately pans out. Alan, technologies that are exciting from a diesel perspective as the industry looks to at least keep up with those federal requirements as they continue to tighten down. What what technologies is the industry excited about here in 2023? What's going to be new for diesel this next year that uh, our audience should be paying attention to? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, a couple of things. And those that have been following this uh, know that we've had some big emissions milestones in the last uh, couple of decades, uh, in 2007, 2010, for heavy-duty trucks, uh, 2014 for off-road engines and equipment. And in each of those instances, we saw brand new technologies that were not on those vehicles or machines uh, suddenly be there, things like particulate filters and selective catalytic reduction systems. So it was a, a brand new um, uh, brand new effort to reduce emissions to near zero levels. Fast forward to today, 2023, um, we have uh, tons of experience with these advanced emissions control systems and they're getting more efficient, smaller in size and enabling greater efficiency uh, from these uh, these trucks and off-road engines and machines. So the ability to control emissions from diesel is, is, is getting, getting better and it's better for the customer because we're not seeing something brand new. We're seeing just an evolution of what is on the vehicle or tractor today to get more efficient and to work better. Um, so I think that's that's number one. The other uh, really exciting part about all this is that the growth of using renewable, uh, advanced renewable biofuels uh, like renewable diesel and, and biodiesel um, presents a tremendous opportunity for everyone. And of course, farmers are really at the center of this, producing uh, soybeans and other feedstocks that go uh, into the processing for these renewable fuels. And these can reduce carbon emissions anywhere from 50 to over 80 percent. Uh, compared to conventional diesel. So in addition to the uh, engines and trucks uh, becoming much more, uh, much lower in emissions and, and more efficient, using these kind of renewable fuels can really deliver some fast uh, benefits in reducing carbon. And so I think the fuels part of this equation becomes much more important in, in the coming years. But if you think about it, we have, we have roughly a billion engines out there. And if we can start using some cleaner fuels in all of them, that's going to have a huge impact, maybe much more than introducing some of these brand new technologies. It sure is. I know the ag industry hears a lot about renewable diesel. Glad to hear the diesel industry is excited about it as well. Folks, that's Alan Schaefer, head of the Diesel Technology Forum. Learn more at dieselforum.org. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. 
As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. We're here with Tom Fry, the Director of Performance Products at the Mosaic Company, and Tom, farmers are gearing up for spring planting. What should they have in their mind when it comes to fertility? We're having some fun here at Commodity Classic talking about the corn sprints. Oh! And it's this concept of how do we make sure we're ready for what is a fast-paced growing season every year, and thinking about what they can do to make sure they've got the optimum balance of nutrition, and how can they make their soils do more. So you mentioned the corn sprint. When is that crucial time for growing? You know, in some ways, when we look back on a season, it feels like it's from planting to harvest. But there's key periods in which crop nutrition is absolutely vital to make sure that we get the most out of our fields. Starting from about V4 all the way well into grain fill is that period where we see the maximum uptake of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, zinc, most of our critical nutrients 
that are going to make us have a profitable year. So how are we as an industry getting better at accessing those nutrients in the soil during that crucial time? It's been a period of evolution for a long time. Uh, when I joined the Mosaic Company, one of the things that we were doing is really expanding our line of performance products with Microsentials and Aspire. And those are ways that we can do more with phosphate and potassium nutrition. We're taking it to the next level right now with advanced crop nutrition with Mosaic Biosciences and products like PowerCoat and Biopath, which are plant growth promoting rhizobacteria that make the root systems bigger and work in the microbiome to ensure that the right mix of uh, microbes are there, process nutrients, stimulate the, the growth, and get more out of that fertilizer investment. Tom, corn sprint. You mentioned that was a focus here while you're at Commodity Classic. Where can growers go to learn more about the corn sprint and what they need to have in mind? They can check out um, cropnutrition.com and it will lead them to a place where they can request additional information. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been tuning in to AOA this week, you've heard a lot of conversation about the waters of the U.S. rule. That rule which governs what waters across the surface of this country does EPA have the authority to have oversight over. And uh, as of now, it's navigable waters and those with a significant nexus with a navigable water, which is a very murky definition. Currently, there's a case pending before the United, Court, United States Supreme Court, Sackett versus the EPA, that hopefully will get a definition of WOTUS. But we also had the Biden administration issue their own new definition of WOTUS back in December. And there has been much court action on that rule. We spoke with Mary Thomas Hart of NCBA earlier this week about last week's decision by a federal judge in Texas to grant an injunction against the new Biden administration WOTUS rule, but only in the states of North, excuse me, of Texas and in Idaho. They also, that judge did not allow the ag groups who are uh, working on behalf of farmers and landowners to, uh, to overturn the WOTUS rule. That judge did not allow those groups to intervene in that case. So that's one case. They've, that first stage has been completed for that particular case. However, there is another lawsuit pending. This one is filed by 24 different states. It was filed in a federal court in North Dakota. It was filed several weeks ago after the Biden administration rule was promulgated. And yesterday, we saw the judge issue their first decision in the case. The decision did not uh, grant a preliminary injunction as of yet, though that is still on the table. The judge in the case in North Dakota did, however, decide to let ag and farm groups intervene in the case. That means that those groups who do have uh, have an issue with this WOTUS rule will be allowed to submit research. They'll be allowed to submit uh, impact statements, just provide additional information to the courts, diagramming the impact of this WOTUS rule. Those 24 states that are included in this, it's a long list, folks, but see if your state is mentioned. It's Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, 
and Wyoming. These 24 states allege the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers have toppled the cooperative federalism regime by implementing a rule that is, quote, overbroad and hopelessly vague. We'll see how those courts continue to rule on that case. We've also had several bills introduced in Congress here over the past seven days that relate to agriculture. Yesterday, on the 22nd, four senators introduced, or I should say reintroduced, a bipartisan piece of legislation. Those four senators, both Republicans from the state of Iowa, Senators Grassley and Ernst, Democrat Senator from Minnesota, uh, Klobuchar, and Tammy Duckworth, Democrat of Illinois, got together and they have reintroduced the Next Generation's Fuels Act. We spoke with lots of biofuel proponents in 2020. 22 who were pushing hard for this act success in on Capitol Hill last year didn't quite get there. There was a lot of conversation as we got to the omnibus funding towards the end of the year about whether or not this bill would make it in there. It didn't. So now it is being reintroduced in this new Congress. Just as a reminder, the idea behind the Next Generation Fuels Act, it's legislation. It's going to leverage higher octane fuels, notably ethanol, to improve engine efficiency and performance. The, the whole idea is to allow the sale of fuels with greater octane levels that will increase the amount of ethanol that can be utilized in the fuel supply. So we will see where the Congress decides to go with this piece of legislation. There's another interesting text uh, submitted to the Senate this past week, and I've been reaching out to folks trying to get some more details on what all they're looking to do with this piece of legislation, but I think it warrants following. This is the ACE Agriculture Act. It was introduced. Again, it has bipartisan support. Uh, Senators Michael Bennett, Democrat of Colorado, and Senators Roger Marshall, Republican of Kansas, have introduced this bill. And what they say is that federal funding for agriculture research, the cutting edge ag research that happens at land grant institutions and federal agencies across the country has been dropping in real terms for several years. We're not keeping up, they allege, with China, with folks in the European Union and with competitors down in Brazil on ag research funding. And this bill is designed to help combat that. This is the Advancing Cutting Edge Agriculture Act. And uh, the idea is it's going to funnel, funnel rather, more dollars into American ag research. So far, uh, these two note that they are going to be pushing for these producers to secure benefits from high fertilizer prices, extreme weather, and poor soil health. We need to utilize the research capabilities at America's institutions to make the most of that. So we'll see if we can get some more information on this bill, see what kind of odds it has making across the finish line there in Washington, D.C. And if you've got kids in school and they're taking advantage of school lunch, well, could be a lot more school lunch recipients out there. Recently saw a change from the USDA. In fact, this change was announced yesterday. The Biden administration has been focusing on childhood hunger. That was a concern that popped up again when the COVID reemerged and shut down schools. And the USDA is working to ensure that students can get meals at school across the country. As of right now, schools can secure extra funding for free and uh, for free lunches if 40 percent or more of their district is enrolled in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The SNAP program used to be called Food Stamps. They call that the C. So 40% of your students are using additional federal help. You get, as a school district, additional funding. Well, what USDA did yesterday is they lowered that 40% threshold to 25%. So the new rule is if 25% of your school district students are on SNAP, you now get additional funding. And USDA notes this could go to many, many students. Lowering this threshold could 
lead to 9 million new students taking additional USDA lunches at 20,000 schools across the country. One other quick note to mention, we have been talking a lot about the lack of free trade agreements under this administration. It has been very slow to get Catherine Tai, the U.S. trade representative, into other countries to sign agreements, but we do have potentially our first one coming with Kenya. The USTR and Kenya expect to finish talks for a trade and investment deal here by the end of 2023. Sign that deal by April of 2024. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA. Join us tomorrow. We'll follow up on what's developing in these markets and talk through some ag policy that impacts your bottom line. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.